Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm super glad that we can be together and worship this week. We're going to be continuing our series on the miracles of Jesus. Last week, one of our volunteer preachers, Scott Oakman, preached an amazing sermon on the wild man and the pigs. It was a marvel to have a psychiatrist, MD, PhD, sharing about the miracle of a crazy man being made right in his mind by the power of God. If you missed it, I highly recommend you listen to it on our website or Spotify or YouTube or whatever. Uh, this week, I get to preach on a passage and a miracle that we preached on not long ago, the miracle that happened between Jesus and the woman at the well. It is a beautiful miracle that turns a lot of cultural roles and assumptions upside down, and it also shows us the amazing effects of miracles, and it's going to lead directly into something I believe God is calling our church into. We're going to start from John 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. And so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And so right here in the opener, we have some real surprises here. Uh, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, which is inhabited by people with differing religious views from Israel. And these are sharp differences. These differences still exist today. There's 810 Samaritans living in uh, the region of Israel. Um, these two cultures had had a history of tension with occasional fighting between the groups. They had had uh, major battles just 138 years before Jesus in which the Israelis defaced the Samaritan temple. And you guys know how long something like that's going to stick culturally. And so Jesus traveling through Samaria is not the surprise. Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman, however, is surprising in all kinds of ways. So first, being seen speaking to a Samaritan at all was discouraged by the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And being seen speaking to a woman was discouraged by a lot of the same religious leaders at his time. And the more con like careful or you could say fringy leaders of his time even said things like, a man should not be seen speaking to his wife in public, which is proof there have always been fringe religious leaders with terrible ideas, right? Always have been, still are today. And so, clearly, speaking to a Samaritan woman was, by and large, right out. Additionally, this woman's drawing water at noon, which is not how things were done in the Middle East then or today. We're not talking about Minnesota. We're talking about one of the hotter climates in the world. People do not set up or do work during the heat of midday. And so, most commentators believe this woman was unliked or ostracized or rejected by her community. On top of all this, the Jewish people had a lot of rules about what you could drink, and drinking woman, uh, water from this woman's jar was considered religiously unclean and therefore a no-no. And yet here is Jesus who approaches her first, asks her for her help, and is preparing to drink water drawn by a Samaritan woman. Verse 9, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you 
living water. So when Jesus speaks to this woman, she immediately brings up the reasons they should not be speaking because of their cultural differences. And you can imagine this scene today. There are all kinds of cultural groups that don't talk to each other all that much. I feel it when I'm walking by the Lavinia folks, and I've seen it tons of times from people over here. I actually had a training how to say hi to someone in Lavinia. We're going to briefly revisit it. I'm going off script here for a second. Sorry. So when someone from Lavinia is walking by and you're feeling awkward because you don't know Spanish and we're not like, how do we talk to each other? Make eye contact with them, smile, and say, hi. <laughs> Every Latino in the world knows what hi means, right? For bonus points, you could say hola, but you don't have to do that. You can just smile and say hi. So we understand the situation of cultural differences between people, and they were especially strong between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, okay? Uh, and yet here's Jesus talking to her, right? Um, he offers her living water. Commentators have different opinions on this. On the one hand, the language for living water means flowing water, water that's alive, that's moving, and they're nowhere near a river or a stream, and so clearly Jesus is talking about something other than water, right? The water available there. Later on in John chapter 7, which is in the same book as this story, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from their heart. And in verse 39 of that chapter, the Bible says, those streams of living water, Jesus means that to be the Holy Spirit. And so here's Jesus, quite likely, offering the Holy Spirit to a foreign woman before even his disciples. But the woman's really skeptical and focused on the differences that keep them apart. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she says, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? So Jacob's well is still a very famous landmark in Israel continuously for thousands of years. In modern times, it's about 100 feet deep. And so hauling water up that thing was work. You got a soaking wet rope. It's not a silk rope, right? 100 feet worth and you're hauling up the water that you've got to carry back to your home for you and your family. And this woman is really focused on what divides her community from Jesus. She challenges him, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who fathered the 12 tribes of Israel? And so what she's really asking is, Jesus, who do you think you are? And I think that is a great question to ask Jesus. If you have never asked Jesus that question, I encourage you to give it a shot. It's got biblical precedent, right? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get it. And so Jesus offers her something impossible and beautiful, to drink and never be thirsty again which if Jesus was just referring to water, makes no sense, but what a miracle that would be. Every day, 100 feet of rope, hot sun, nobody likes me, I'm out here alone, it's really hot. And Jesus tells her the water he has never runs out and gives you eternal life. The water Jesus gives us bubbles up inside of us again and again and again. And at this point, the woman tells Jesus, yes, I will take that. But before that happens, the conversation is about to turn toward the miraculous. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. 
you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And so here we get our miracle of the day. By the power of God, Jesus knows her life situation even though he wasn't there for it. You know what that means? Jesus knows your life situation too. The second miracle I ever experienced in a vineyard church was just like this one. I was visiting this tiny basement church in Flagstaff, Arizona that I found in the phone book. I decided to go to the last one. And this is my second time in church since God saved me from drug addiction and suicide. I didn't know a single person there. I didn't have a common relationship with anybody there. And after the service, they had prayer like we do here. And I went forward because I was depressed and alone and desperate for God to show up in my life. And this guy prayed for me. And he started whispering in my ear and telling me all the things I had been doing over the last few weeks. What I had been praying, how I had been falling on my face every day, how I was kneeling and pleading before God. And I knew... This is a miracle. I should come back next week, right? But way more powerful than what was going on in my mind was the feeling. The whole time I'm crying out to God, the whole time I am pleading and wrestling with God, I'm wondering, does God even know I'm doing this right now? Does God see me? And when this guy spoke, my heart broke because I knew God has seen the whole thing. It really did matter. God really does care. And God really did hear my prayers. And some of you need to hear this today. God absolutely sees you. God absolutely cares about you. And God hears your prayers. Don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. God is working out an answer to your prayers. Now, what I was praying for at all that time never came to be but I got a miracle different than the one that I was praying for, and it worked out way better than what I was asking. I'm going to add here my understanding from people and commentators who've lived in the Middle East is that there this parable is called the parable of the barren woman. In this era, still today in many places, women do not get divorced five times, period, end of sentence. But if you weren't able to have kids, men could kick you out with nothing into the street, nowhere to go, none of your possessions. Five times this woman has been kicked out of her home, told to go find somebody else, ripped apart from the family that she's committed her life to. She's had her heart completely broken and finds herself alone on a nude day, drawing water with this crazy Jewish guy. If you have felt ostracized, rejected, and unwanted, this parable has a lot for you. What does Jesus do with people on the outside? He goes toward them. Jesus comes to you, and he offers you a path to God. Jesus sees you and speaks to you and loves you, because that's who he is. And now he's got the woman's attention. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And so tell me, why is it you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And this is actually the biggest point of theological difference between these two groups, and it's powerful enough to have lasted 2,000 years plus all the time before Jesus. And so this woman brings up the heart of their differences. Confronted with divine power, she brings up the issue that actually keeps her people separated from Jesus' people. How can she believe if Jesus excludes her because of her beliefs? So I have a question for you. Uh, have you ever had a belief that kept you from faith in Jesus? Like you believed something about God, 
and therefore could not believe. I've had that. When I was a kid, you might believe what I'm about to say doesn't work for me. It's fine if you do. You don't have to believe what I believe. Um, I was taught in one of my schools that God made people, some for heaven and some for hell, on purpose. And he was intentionally setting things up with no free will or choice for any of us humans. And I could never get behind that belief. Every time I turn that one over in my mind, I go, no, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. I've met very good Christian people who believe that way, but I never could. I have good news. Jesus has in a way of being alive and present that comes to us and overcomes even our, our beliefs, right or wrong. This woman has terrible, like, wrong beliefs, right? And she keeps bringing them up to Jesus because they're a reason not to trust him. And he keeps pressing in and loving her and doing good for her and even speaking a miracle to her. And so whatever beliefs that you're holding up between yourself and Jesus, I just want to encourage you, Jesus is totally worth getting over it. You can give up the things you can't believe and trust that God will work it out somehow. And God actually will work it out somehow. Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time's coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so this is very amazing stuff. Jesus tells the woman, our differences around this mountain or the other, which have already been in place for thousands of years, our different beliefs about the Bible, all that's not going to matter. Instead, because Jesus has come, the important thing is worshiping in spirit and truth. Worshiping by the Holy Spirit, because God is spirit, and worshiping honestly and sincerely, being a people of the truth. Jesus changes everything. Through Jesus, we who were once all kinds of different peoples with all kinds of barriers between us, can keep our differences and be united in the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters in one family under God. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And this is where we get to our main application point for today. Because of Jesus' miracle, the woman tells everyone in her town. Because of the miracle, we see some of the first evangelism in the history of the church. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard, wrote a great book called Power Evangelism. It's probably still one of the best books on evangelism out there. Lots of them are terrible. And the reason lots of them are terrible is most evangelism is about how to talk someone into Jesus, and that is practically impossible. I have seen it happen for sure one time in my life, and 52, and I've been a pastor for a lot of that. Talking people into Jesus has not worked for me, okay? 
Um, how many people are real excited to go out and talk to someone in Jesus today? We had one in first service. Raise your hand if that's you. Be honest about it. You're a gift to the church. Donuts. I told first service I thought second service would do better, but no, we're not going to do better. It's okay. My hand's not up in the air, right? Uh, God bless those who have the gift of evangelism who want to go out and tell people about Jesus. But it turns out something else tends to work in evangelism. What John Wimber taught and lived was that God still does miracles today. And one of the great reasons for God's miracles is so that people will know his love and tell everyone how good God is. That brings people to Jesus and grows the family of God. Remember in last week's miracle, Jesus heals the man who's got a legion of demonic spirits like messing with him. And he says, no, you can't get in the boat with me. I want you to go back to your town and tell everybody what happened and give glory to God. Again and again, we see this throughout scripture. Miracle followed by now go tell people so that God will get the glory. John Wimber used to teach that if you want to participate in the real stuff of Jesus, you need to get out into the world. He would say the meat is in the streets. The real spiritual food of the Christian life is found when we take it out of the church and put it into practice out in the world that God loves and cares for, where so many people have not found their way into a God who loves them and a community who loves them. And where we would love to share both those things. Uh, every few years, I feel like River Heights Vineyard is at a crossroads, and I feel like that again. We have a choice. Who are we here for? Are we here primarily for ourselves or primarily for the world outside our doors? And I believe this miracle helps point us in the right direction. Churches can go either way for ourselves or for others. Do not get me wrong. This is like a fake tension in the sense that both are incredibly important. Every person inside this room matters to God, just like every person outside this room matters to God. And where are there more people? Like, we are outnumbered, right? There are another 34,000 people living in Invergrove Heights outside this room, and a handful of them are in the other five to seven churches, depending how you count those numbers. And then all the rest of them do not have what we have been given. And so where are we going to go as long as I'm alive, as long as our church vision is to help a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world, we will lean outward. We're not going to go all the way out here. We're going to take care of the people God brings, but we're going to lean toward the people outside our walls. Again and again, Jesus does miracles that testify to God's goodness in Scripture and today. And that brings people to faith. It's throughout the Bible. It's throughout the history of the Christian church. In times of supernatural activity, the church grows. And God's activity is often most present when there are people around who have not turned their life and trust over to Jesus yet. Two years ago, I was in seminary. We read The Churching of America, and in it, the two authors do this incredibly detailed, mind-numbingly detailed historical work demonstrating how the United States became so Christian. You may not know this. The United States' least Christian time was when it was founded, 12% Christian. That's like less than Canada, you know? That's like low. And somehow, we've become the most heavily Christian-identifying nation in the world. How did that happen? Uh, they say there's three reasons, and the first two 
innovation and hungry pastors because you got to invent stuff over here with no structure and you could become a pastor without following the incredibly difficult stuff that you had to go through in Europe. The third reason is for our attention today, the supernatural. When God's stuff happens, people are interested. This has been true since the time of Jesus when he told a woman about her life with no way of knowing. It's true for me. When I was sober just a few months and I didn't know a Christian in the world, someone spoke my life to me and said that God cares. And the results are very often like they were in the story today. Let's skip to the end of the chapter today, verse 39, and see what happens. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard from him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. And so the witness of one completely outcast woman becomes enough to bring whole villages to believe in Jesus. This is the most powerful evangelism that happens in Scripture until the outpouring in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And this is the path forward for the vineyard today, both nationally and here at home. At our national conference last week, we got to see the hopeful future of the vineyard. Every day, my 14-year-old daughters got to worship and be in ministry with teens from around the country. Young people were there coming to Jesus. And every day, we had different associations of the vineyard leading our sessions. You'll figure out what the associations are as soon as I start naming a couple few. First, we had the Black Pastors and Leaders Association with the most crushingly great music and preaching, of course. And then I went to their luncheon with my wife. And... I was one of two white guys and 80 people in a room. I got the warmest welcome I have ever received at a lunch in my entire life. I got hugged by so many guys, and when they would see me in the halls for the rest of the conference, they would come hug me again. It was amazing. And they had really good food. Uh, the Asian American Pacific Islander Association did this really deep spiritual work through worship and example and teaching, and then they led us in expressing respect and appreciation for the elders of our movement. And the Lavinia folks, you've heard worship down the end. Wow, did they bring the party. They had us learn the words to a song. They had us sing slowly, you know, here's the two so words you can do in Spanish. Here's the next two words. And then they went, bam, and the instruments exploded and the roof kind of popped off the building and it was amazing and everybody was moving. It was really fantastic. Uh, you may not know this. The vineyard was started by surfing boomers on the beach in California. How white were we when we got started? Like a million percent. We were the whitest movement in America for a time. That worked for a while. As we have gotten older for decades now, we have realized this is not God's plan for the church at all. God's plan for the church is every tongue, every tribe, every nation united in worship. And so the vineyard is working hard to grow in two things, to get younger and to get more diverse. And I am here today to report that the result of doing so is incredibly exciting. It's very joyful, and God's power is all over it. I started spontaneously weeping during worship 11 times over four days. I don't do that, but it's miraculous when a couple thousand people who've given their lives to Jesus get together and worship God as one.
God was all over us. The Vineyards National Conference is going to be every year from now on, and you are invited to come. Everybody can come to these things. I took a couple weeks of vacation back when I was working in tech and not working here and went to the Vineyards National Conference, and it was amazing. And they do stuff for all ages. And having my kids finding Jesus without my intervention is amazing. I hope you can come next year. You are invited. It is always full of God's power. The power this year was especially on the Vineyard's heart for being younger and more diverse. And God has been speaking to me about having the same kind of movement here. God's been telling me as we face the challenges of church today that we are invited to press in to seeing more young people follow Jesus and more people of color joining our church family. Could I get a yay? Yay, right. And we have a plan for doing it. We're putting our hearts into the relaunch of the longest-running team-based ministry here at River Heights Vineyard, and that is Alpha. Alpha is made up of 11 weeks of eating together, watching a talk on big questions of faith, and then listening as everyone around the table shares their perspective. And at the heart of Alpha is something the Vineyard put there, the Holy Spirit Weekend. The founder of Alpha, Nikki Gumbel, was one of the main session speakers at our national conference, and he spoke via a video chat with Jay Pathak that had been recorded. And he said that Alpha in their church when he was young was a pretty good ministry, but fairly small and struggling until John Wimber came for a visit. And John taught their church about the Holy Spirit and about the power of the supernatural to call people into the life of faith. And they decided we're going to add a Holy Spirit weekend to Alpha. And ever since then, Alpha has taken off like nothing in the world. 7,400 churches ran Alpha last year just in the United States, and it's run all over the world in every denomination from Catholic to Baptist to Lutheran to Presbyterian to the Vineyard. Alpha is about connecting people who are new to in Christianity or investigating it with the love and power of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That weekend in there where you run into the power of God is where you see so many people change their lives forever. Sue Marsden is with us this morning. Let's get us a wave, Sue. Sue Marsden is absolutely the best. You should swarm her after church and just listen to her, whatever she has to say. Uh, she's been running Alpha here for decades, at least 22 years that I'm aware of, maybe longer, I think. Starting this fall, um, she's passing leadership to me, and I am more excited about this than I can put into words. I love hearing people share about their beliefs. I love seeing people come to Jesus, and I love working with a team to provide great food and a great experience of God's love to everyone who comes. That's just going to be fun. After Rena Rasmussen's recent uh, sermon on the miraculous catches of fish, I went forward for prayer, and I asked God, God, what do you want from River Heights Vineyard for this season? I don't know if you're aware, but like being a pastor is hard, and you don't want to like use your mind to like strategize the church's direction. You want to like hear from God, but you can't make God say things. So it's hard. Came forward for prayer, and God spoke super clearly. He said, throw out your nets. And as God said that, I got a picture of Alpha and us wholeheartedly throwing ourselves into the work. God's inviting us to bring his supernatural love and power to people who have never experienced it before. And I need your help. Alpha's going to be meeting on Wednesday evenings, starting with the new life groups in late September, September 27th to be specific, I think. 
he's not in here to correct me. I'm fairly certain it's September 27th, but you know me. So uh, we're going to cancel loaves and fishes on Wednesdays. We're going to cook our own meal. We're going to have a team of people working to prepare a fantastic, you know, dinner for you. And then we're going to see how many people God brings. And we are going to love every single one of them. And we're going to give them a chance to connect with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to celebrate the heck out of everybody who does. And then we're going to do it again and again and again and again. Hopefully for another 23 years. Hopefully someone else takes it over long before then. That leads me to today's tips. And I want to invite the worship team to come back up as well. Uh, I just want to say... Well, I'll set, save it for tip three. If you would stand now and the worship team would come forward uh, as you're able. Tip number one is uh, read John 4. This is an incredibly beautiful story. It speaks to all of us have felt rejected and ostracized. All of us have felt on the outside. And this is a great reminder that that's what Jesus came to cross and to make right. Uh, tip number two. Ask God to use River Heights Vineyard to bring people to Jesus and then pray about your part. This is a great way to pray for your church. Pray good things for your church and then say, God, do you have anything for me to do in making it that way? We would love to have your prayers for this church and we would love to have you join this team. Tip number three. I chicken out on occasion and I chickened out here. Here's tip number three. Consider signing up for Alpha and bringing a friend, okay? I would like to rephrase that. Sign up for Alpha. Bring a friend. Pray and ask God who and then come. Uh, I really love investing myself in the stuff that God has called my people to do. And I've loved that since before I was a pastor or doing this for a living or anything. When you go with the direction of God's flow and with the direction of God's people, uh, amazing miracles can happen. And I love seeing those miracles happen. And those miracles are what bring people to Jesus. And so sign up for Alpha. And let me know on your connection card that you want to sign up and you want to come to a team meeting in uh, mid-late September, you know, before the, the actual kickoff of the event. We have a place for you and we need you and you're wanted. Um, if you're on the prayer team, could you come forward at this time? Uh, we're going to close with prayer, where, by the way, miracles happen just like happened to me back in the day. They happen here too. Uh, there are three things I thought in particular you might want prayer for. Number one, if you have that spirit of being an outcast, if you feel like you've got to go out at noon to avoid people because people are awkward or you're awkward, um, I just want you to know Jesus loves you and that you're not an outcast in the family of God. You're welcome here. You have a place here. You belong here. And God sees you. So by all means, come forward and receive prayer. Tip number two, you're longing for miracles. I came to the vineyard longing for miracles. This woman needs a miracle in her life. Many of us today need miracles. If you need a miracle, ask God to do it. I'll be honest with you. The miracle I was praying for did not happen. The miracle I was not praying for did, and it changed my life forever, and it worked out way better than what I wanted. And so come forward and ask other people to pray for you. And tip number three, we have people who've been wanting friends or family to believe, and maybe you've given up. I have a couple people I've given up on. When I'm asked to pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus, think about two of my friends, and, um, and I pray with, like, no faith. You know, I just pray, fine, God, bring them some, oh, my God, please. You know, and then I just kind of give up. You know what's great? Other people have more faith than you do for those people. When it gets too hard to pray for people, when it's been too long, someone else can pray with all the hope and the faith in the world. And I'm hoping that faith count. And so if you have people that you want to see come to Jesus, come and ask someone to pray those things for you. You know, that's what we're here for is to help each other when things are hard.
Uh, we're going to transition into worship and prayer, and I'm going to lead us in prayer as we start. God, uh, thank you so much for crossing over all the barriers, all the lines to get to us. Thank you for every person in here to whom you have revealed yourself, who you have invited into your truth and into your friendship and love for eternity. And we are painfully aware, God, we might have some people in here who haven't taken that step yet, and all of us know people who have not taken that step yet. And some of them we've even given up on. God, we just lift up the whole world that does not know you, and we ask, would you make yourself known? Would you do glorious works that cause everybody to see your fame and your goodness and your holiness and come to you? And we offer ourselves, God, uh, together we can't do much, or sorry, independently we can't do much, but together we can make some really amazing things happen just by being available to you. And we ask, God, would you bless Alpha here at River Heights Vineyard? Thank you for the years we've had and the people that we have seen, and thank you for the ones that you're planning to bring. Show us how to move forward as a people and stay in step with you for the rest of our days, God. And come to us again today. If you're here today and you haven't made the step of following Jesus, today would be a great day to do that. And all it begins with is just saying, I choose to follow you. You can do that on your own, but we would really encourage you to come pray with somebody if that's a decision you want to make today. Um, let the moderator know if you're doing so online. Uh, either way, you are so welcome here to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Uh, come receive prayer as God leads, and uh, we're going to close with worship. The team will let us know when the service is over, and if you're visiting, I'd love to meet you afterwards by the Welcome Center. God bless you. Let's worship and pray.